You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. My name's Rick Kleffel, and I'm with the Agony Column. With me in the studio is Charles Kruger. He's the creator of the Storming Bohemia website, and he's worked with Quiet Lightning. He's a cameraman and film auteur for Lit Scene. Thank you for joining me, Charles. Um, pleasure to be here. Thank you. Charles, you're a poet, and then let's just start right off with uh, having you read one of your poems for us. All right. Now, uh, this is uh, from the Quiet, a Quiet Lightning book. Yeah, the book is called Sparkle and Blink. And every month, Quiet Lightning publishes all of the readers. Do they publish before the event or after? It is published at the event. The books are not available until the event. And then they're available online. Okay, but they're, but they're actually printed before. So the submissions are made to Quiet Lightning, and the books are printed up ready for the event where the, you, they will see the premiere of you reading the poem that you're about to read right now. Yes, lit- literally days before the event, they're printed up. So this poem is called In Search Of. One time, I took directions from a Santero and left a coconut under a palm tree as a sacrifice for Sean Go. I asked him to send me a lover, and he did. I have a room in my house where I placed a scary mask over the door to keep out evil demons. And once, I found two yolks inside a single egg. And when I eat a fish, I always look for the genie's ring. There was the time, too, when I sat by a stream rubbing two rocks together for an hour, hoping for a vision which finally came in the form of a tree stump in the shape of a bear who spoke to me of love and the future. And once, on a country highway, I tried to hitch a ride, and nobody stopped but the trees and the sky and I were perfect. And will I ever get back to a moment like that? Forty years ago, and I cannot forget. Give me significance, I cry out, even at the expense of truth. Grant me relief from doubt. Parched for meaning, I would drink seawater and superstition for relief. O Lord, my soul is longing for you, like a dry, weary land without water. Give me a horoscope. Give me a magic ring, a song to sing, a coat of many colors, and an eye to see. O Lord, make me holy. And what is holy? Holy is that which signifies beyond itself. That would be you. That would be me. That would be us. Amen. Thank you. That was Charles Kruger reading from his Quiet Lightning. What was the title of that poem? In Search Of. Now, uh, I think that that is a really good um, summary of what I read from the theme that occurs through a lot of your poetry. And it's what interests me about your writing is that you have a very uh, uh, religious bent. I mean, and it's and it's a very and it's almost a, a standard mainstream kind of religious bent. But you have an interesting way of questioning the nature of the standard mainstream religion and exploring other things with equal vigor. You a horoscope or the code of many colors. Well, I've often said that I've never been to religion I didn't like. Um, I adore religion. I've adored religion ever since I was a child. I like the ritual. I like the ceremony. I like the excitement of being part of it. I'm interested in 
any kind of numinosity at all, but I don't know that I'm actually a believer. I enjoy the, um, I was going to say the repertoire of belief, but it's all metaphor to me. I don't, I'm not prepared to commit to say I believe this or I believe that, but I like to participate. It strikes me that you like the pageantry, and I think you do the, the, the I guess, the play-acting aspect of it. And I think you do a great job of translating the variety of that kind of image into language. So I'd like you to talk about um, choosing the language for the poem in search of, and uh, then read us another poem, and then we'll talk about that one. Well, the language invariably comes from reflections on a personal experience in almost all of my poems. I do the occasional political poem or the occasional didactic poem, but mostly I'm looking for an experience and an image from a particular moment in my life and exploring those. Of course, the central image in this poem that I just read in search of was standing by that highway when I was just a teenager and experiencing that moment of ecstasy where I felt so connected with the sky and myself and the land around me. Um, and then the other things sort of came out from that in a rippling sort of effect, the various kinds of superstitious things that I'm drawn to. I just like anything that gives me that sense of connection to something more than myself, um, to the numinosity. I am, in fact, an oblate of a Catholic monastery, of a Benedictine monastery, and I've participated in services, and I've been a um, cantor in services, and it's a very important part of my life. Even though if you challenged me to explicate my actual beliefs, I'd shrug, because um, I don't know what they are. I don't believe I feel. I feel my way into um, religious experience. You know, um, I'd like you to talk about uh, the experience of writing the poems, because I'm guessing that's part of your uh, religious experience, and your, your, feel, your uh, exploration of religious experience is really tied to creating the language in the poems. Very much so. That, that's really a very perceptive thing to say. It is a type of meditation and a type of prayer to engage in the poetry. I really do believe that the poetry comes not from an expertise with language so much as a state of consciousness. And I really try to achieve a certain state of consciousness in order for the language to be produced. It's not about having an extended vocabulary or a toolbox of poetic devices, although I'm familiar with those things, and I draw on them, I suppose, I really draw on them consciously. I try to induce in myself a kind of dreamlike or meditative state in which the language pours out of me, just like images will pour out of you when you're dreaming. It's not a conscious effort, but the, the process by which I get into that state of mind is very much a conscious effort, and I'll utilize anything to get me there. Mostly religious metaphors or beliefs that might seem superstitious, but they get you downtown. Now, one of the things I think that's interesting uh, when you talk about it this way is the difference between creating a poem in the first instance, which I think would be more analogous to a truly ecstatic religious experience, like I guess a revelation, as opposed to the, the process of rewriting them, which might be more analogous to the rote ritual of prayer. I'm not sure I understand quite what you're getting at. I guess it's a prayerful process to rewrite them. Um, I don't think of prayer so much as a rote ritual. Um, I think of prayer more, in my experience, as a method of inducing a certain state of consciousness. 
Um, I guess there's a road element to that. But I don't think of it as, when I think of road, I think of a kind of meaningless repetition that's just done out of habit in hopes that this time, eventually, this is going to plant something that will later produce a result. And I guess there's that aspect of it. But for me, it's more like the actual state of mind while I'm in the process of praying or chanting or making poetry or exploring language. It's actually a, um, an altered state of consciousness. So you ha- you're in the same state of consciousness whether you're creating a poem or revising a poem. That's what I was trying to get at. Yes. Yes, very much so. I'm working towards that same state of consciousness even when I'm revising the poem. I'm trying to go back to what I experienced when I created it and look for a match. It's kind of like finding the right chord in a piece of music. I've got the original note and I'm looking for the complementing note the one that's going to harmonize, and that's a matter of my ear and my feeling more than anything. Uh, I'd like you to pick out for us another poem and read it, and and let's explore more some of this uh, kind of uh, religious experience. I think that's an interesting uh, way to approach uh, poetry. So uh, the title of this poem is? Um, This one's more overtly religious, I guess. It's called Soul Mending, and um, it actually deals with the process of writing very directly. Soul mending. Sometimes, hell, often, we are afraid to write. We are afraid of what we might find out. Sitting in a coffee shop, maybe, dust on the floor, flyers of words stuck on corner bulleted boards next to the sitting rooms, promising how someone will teach us to write with a true voice or pressure ourselves into yogic ecstasy, only 150 bucks a month, special arrangements possible. I need special arrangements because I'm afraid to write. I'm afraid of what I might find out. Afraid of finding nothing but an empty room with a slippery, varnished floor. I will try to make my way to the barred window, hoping to look out, but only slip and slide, tumbling and thumping against the hard wood, against the hard wood of my heart, which is beating in spite of the nails being pounded into its flesh. Writing is hard. No wonder we are afraid. I am afraid to write. I am afraid of what I might not find out. I sit in my room, maybe, bed unmade, socks on the ceiling, birds flying around trying to get out the window, a hornet's nest in the eaves, buzzing like the alphabet in my head, and the cup of poison on the night table just waiting for me. We are afraid to write. But... We write, anyhow. We try to write our way out of the prison of these rooms that are our two tiny hearts and find ourselves somewhere, in a woods or a mountaintop or a beach or maybe swinging on a log swing on the porch of a country cottage among the redwoods or in an apple orchard where God is in the kitchen making soup or pancakes and promising to keep our souls alive. Charles Kruger, Soul Mending. Thank you for reading that, Charles. That's a wonderful poem. Um, this is an interesting uh, the meditation on, on uh, the fear of writing, and I think that's something that uh, keeps a lot of people from writing. I think there would be a lot more writing if people were able to confront that fear, and you directly confront the fear itself in writing, which is a nice kind of uh, Escher-esque uh, 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 Philip, t- talk about your decision to do that. 
Well, it's, it's part of my life, so it's always going to be one of my themes, is the process of writing. I don't know what my themes are until I sit down at the table to write or pull out my notebook to write. I want to discover the theme. I've never, almost never, sit down and say, I'm going to write a poem about such and such. It's more of an exploratory process. I sit down and I start to think, what have I done recently? What's going on in my life? I'll start to talk to myself. And then I'll look at what I've just said. Right now, I said the sentence, I'll start to talk to myself. That brings me back to the phrase, I'll start. I'll start. What does it mean to start? Where in my life have I started something? What image comes to mind? And I'll start to explore what it means to start. And that may lead me into a poem. You seem to have a kind of almost a fractal approach to, to, to the writing process. And I'm wondering, uh, one of the things I liked about, uh, your, like about your poems is, you know, your collection of details. And there's like a little bit of, uh, I guess, nonfiction reportage in some of your poetry. So, and I think that makes it more interesting and uh, entertaining as a listener. I like to, I'm an admirer of Yukowski. I like to be very, very straightforward with the story. It's all about the story of what happened to me inside. I'm trying to tell a narrative about an emotional interior experience. Um, to me, that's the essence of what I write about. I'm not writing about the world. I'm writing about my experience of the world. I'm really making a commentary on anything outside myself. And that's because it's what I do best. It's what comes easiest to me. It's certainly not the only way to make poems. And it may not, in fact, make the best poems, but it makes my poems. Um, there is something I want to mention, incidentally, because I talked about how I discovered the theme of the poem. That's not an original method with me. I want to give credit to a wonderful teacher named Jack Grapes, who runs a workshop in Los Angeles. And he's developed an entire approach to writing that he calls method writing. And a lot of what I talk about, the placing myself into a certain state of mind, and in particular, the use of... Um, what he called the transformation line, looking for those verbs when I'm describing my life, like when I said, I'll start something, and exploring that. That's very much his, um, his method, and I want to give him credit for that. But it works very well, and of course I've made it very much my own. We're getting some signal here. Uh, Charles, uh, you spend a lot of time in the literary scene. You work with lit scene, yes. so you see a lot of poets. I'm wondering if you talk about uh, how this kind of explosion of poetry around us, which is somewhat surprising, um, informs and influences your work, your just decision to be able to, your ability to sit down and write. Well, I think people are looking for meaning. Um, we live in an alienated time, of course. The whole century has been an alienated time, and it comes and goes in waves, how intense that feeling is. And right now, especially with the economic situation, it's a very, very intense time where people are looking for some kind of connection, some kind of meaning in their life, other than what kind of job can I get? What kind of work can I do? And the outsiders in this kind of environment have always been the artists. And I think that people are realizing that one legitimate way to live is to live as an artist. I always insist that what's important is not the artifact, it's the decision to live as the artist. To me, that's the most important thing. Um, I want to make good poems, I value making good poems, but my value to the community 
is beyond the poems that I make. It's in my decision to say, yes, this is a worthwhile thing to do, to devote myself to the creation of art. There's a guy in San Francisco on Valencia Street that goes out with a guitar every day and plays for six hours, and he's infamously talentless. And that's the truth. He's like this homeless guy, and he goes out there and he plays. He's extremely eccentric and extremely odd, but I admire him because his value to the community as someone that says, this is who I am and this is what I'll do and I'm a person and it matters that I am out here doing this is very important to me. And I don't care if the music's that great. And in this explosion of poetry that's going on, what's significant about it most to me is that it's creating an environment where it says to everybody in the community, this is worth doing. This is worth giving yourself to. This is worth making a life with. And out of that will certainly be produced some great poets and a whole lot of not-so-great poets but great human beings and great community, and that's key. Your life is a work of art. I hope so, yes. I've been speaking with Charles Kruger. He's the creator of the Storming Bohemia website. He works with Litzine, and he's a poet himself. Thank you for joining me, Charles. Thank you very much for having me. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.